Hey listeners, I'm Pastor Brian Dwyer, and you're listening to the Pursue God Truth Podcast on a Tuesday. Pastor Ross Anderson joins me for today's topic. And remember, you can find resources to have this conversation with your family, small group, or mentor. Find it all at PursueGod.org. Okay, Ross, today we're in week number three of our Bible Basics series, and we, we so far we've talked about where did we get the Bible, we've talked about what is the structure of the Bible, and today we're going to get sort of the most, probably the most practical, well, definitely the most practical of, of uh, every lesson in the series, because we're going to answer the question, how do I read the Bible? I don't know, you probably get these questions all the time, especially for newer believers, or maybe just people who want to start um, implementing the discipline, the spiritual discipline of reading the Bible. A lot of people say, how do I even start? It's a huge book, 66 books. I, it's hard to maybe understand. If I start in Genesis, it's great for a little while. But once you get into like Deuteronomy and Numbers, you're like questioning your life. And, uh, and you know, should you have started where you started? We're going to get into all of that. We're going to give some practical tips on Bible reading. We're going to, we're going to, at the very end, we're going to give five pitfalls to avoid as you're reading the Bible. So there's a lot to cover today. We're going to go really basic. We're going to we're going to get into the deeper stuff as well. But maybe we should start with a scripture verse, Joshua 1.8. It says this, study this book of instruction continually, meditate on it day and night, so you'll be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. What's the context for that? Um, and then how can that kind of commandment apply to our lives today. Yeah, so this is the word to Joshua. He's taking over the leadership of the nation of Israel. Moses is now gone, and Joshua is going to lead the people into the promised land. And so this is a this is the encouragement to Joshua that there is a way for him to succeed in that role and that the people as a whole can succeed in this task and this promise that God has given to them. And that's going to be rooted in studying the scripture, studying what God has has given. And so not just studying it, but meditating on it. There's some words in there, uh, studying it continually, meditate day and night, it says. In other words, and, and also do what it says, you know, apply it, and then you'll prosper, then you'll succeed. And so this is like a starting point for the conversation. Um, and, and we're going to go, like you said, Brian, we're going to, we're going to take this, like, what's the simplest way to take this? And what are some more deeper, more complicated ways to take this? So I think any of our leaders, of our, of our listeners, regardless of where they're at in their habits and practices and experience, we're going to try to help them understand how they can put this into practice in their own, in their own experience. Yeah, maybe we should pause for a second and, and tell some personal stories about how we interact with the Bible. I mean, Ross, for you, you came to faith uh, what after after your college or in college or something like that? I came to faith as a as a young child, so I've I grew up in a Christian home. So for me, I'll start for me personally. For a long, long time, for decades, I've really like tried to read the Bible, tried to make it a regular practice in my life. And today, now as a middle aged man, I I read the Bible every day. So it is it is something that is an, a discipline in my life. Um, that I do every day. Probably, I probably spend, um, I probably spend on average five minutes a day. Uh, some years I read through the entire Bible in a year. I, I just finished doing that last year. So that takes more like 15 minutes a day. Um, I listen to it typically. I listen to it on the Bible app, Uversion Bible app. Um, obviously, I read it a lot in study for sermons and for podcasts and things like that. So so for me, I spend a lot of time just about every day in the Bible. I mean, what would you say? What's your personal experience reading the Bible? Yeah, that's that's true for me too. So, you know, I came into faith as a as a young adult. And so from the very beginning, I was involved in being discipled in how to do that, how to read and study the Bible. And um and, and so I've learned over the years of doing this for a long time that that I have different approaches. I think that the encouragement I'd make to people who are listening that that you don't have to just lock into one thing. So sometimes I'll read a, through the Bible, and some, but sometimes I'll go into uh, one chapter and just dig in and dig in and maybe several readings. Uh, sometimes I'll use resources. Sometimes I'll read what they call devotionally, because I'm just reading to fill my soul. Other times I'm reading to study and to try to, to share something with other people. And so there's a lot of difference. Sometimes I'll read the Bible 
I'll go away for a day and just read the Bible all day long and maybe interact with one author all day long and, and take copious notes. And, and so, so there's lots of different methods and approaches. But the, what, I've, what I've discovered over the years is it, is it really begins to become uh, part of you and it becomes part of your way of thinking and part of, you know, you're, you're in putting it into your heart. The Bible talks about hide these things in your heart. You know, and so you're getting God's way of thinking. And I think, so I, th- I find myself, you know, I'm not perfect by a long shot, but you, f- you find yourself over time, your impulse, your first thought is shaped by, you know, the fact that you've been reading the Word of God. So a lot of Christians struggle with reading the Bible regularly because they don't really have a plan. They're not sure how to approach it. It's a big book. So maybe some of our listeners just randomly pick a passage to read, then they do it again the next day. And so I think that's kind of a haphazard approach to reading the Bible. Ross, let's give some practical tips on maybe a different strategy, a different plan. Um that people could have, if you were to tell somebody, somebody who's newer to this, who said, I've never really read the Bible before, what would you tell them? Where should they start? Yeah, I would start, you know, as opposed to the haphazard plan, um, I would say you want to kind of read through something that has one voice, one heart, you know, kind of one thought. So that would be pick a book of the Bible um, and read through a whole book of the Bible. Say, I'm going to read through, you know, and, and don't start with something obscure, but start with something really fundamental, something basic. I like to start in the Gospel of John in the New Testament um, because it's about Jesus. And it, that's a great place to start if you've never read the Bible. Just get to know Jesus better, and you'll see what he's teaching. You see his miracles. You see his character. And I think you'll understand more of his mission. And so John is really great. If you want to start in the Old Testament, then you could start in the book of Genesis, for example. Um, you know, Again, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, you don't necessarily want to read through uh, chronologically. But starting in Genesis helps you understand a lot of things because it is the book of beginnings and it helps you understand how did how did certain things come into into being. So I start I would start with a book of the Bible, pick a book and uh, and just go uh, read read through it. Maybe a chapter a day, maybe even less than a chapter a day. Maybe if you're going for scope, you could read a couple chapters a day. Yeah, I think the key is it's not about. Right, Christianity is not about a checklist that you have to perform. I think as a young Christian, I've always felt like a sense of guilt that if I wasn't reading, you know, so many chapters a day or so many minutes a day, that I was doing something wrong. And I encourage our listeners to hopefully have a little bit of a freer approach. But a freer approach doesn't mean you don't have a plan, you don't have a structure. You know, we talked last time, Ross, about the structure of the Bible and that, you know, say the New Testament, the first four books are the Gospels. So yeah, the reason that w- you might start at the Gospel of John is because that's the fourth book of the New Testament. It's the last Gospel. So you start with John, and then the next book you're reading is Acts, which is the history book of the New Testament, the history of the early church, which is that there's so much in there that's so helpful and insightful and interesting. And then the next book you'll read is Romans, which is which was one of Paul's letters, his letter to the church in Rome. And so you're going to get into a lot of doctrine and theology there. So it's a good place to start. Um, you know, you don't have to read the Bible from beginning to end. Because remember, we also talked about the fact that the Bible isn't organized chronologically. So, you, you know, reading from beginning to end, Genesis to Revelation, is probably going to be a little confusing because you're not reading you're not reading it in chronological time. Now, there are some reading plans out there um, that are chronological. So some people, I really recommend that at some point when you're ready to do that. But for a newer Christian, Ross, wouldn't you say for a newer Christian, maybe get your feet wet by reading, you know, maybe reading some from the New Testament. I would even encourage people to read Proverbs, read Psalms. Those are some, I would say, a little bit easier to process for a newer believer. Yeah, they're more accessible and and the application is really pretty clear. And and the way to understand there's less of the of the uh, literary kind of um, untackling things that has to be done. So that makes a lot of sense. You don't want to be discouraged if you're starting out. You don't want to get discouraged. Um, you know, there's a certain amount of, of discipline that it takes to keep going, but there's no reason to make it really hard on yourself uh, by picking something that, uh, a starting point that's really challenging. And you'll, and then what you happen is you'll go back and you'll, maybe you'll read that book, Leviticus. At some point you're going to read Leviticus. Right, but then, but you have a framework in place already. 
then you can start connecting the dots. And it's not like totally like, oh my gosh, what is what is this even talking about? And so I think that I think it's been helpful, mentioned discipline to, for a reader, for you to decide how much you want to read in a given day. Like you said, you have five minutes or you listen, whatever, um, you know, and make it manageable. You know, um, you can adjust that plan as you go, but don't start with like, I remember as a young Christian, you'd hear all these heroic stories of, of you know, ancient, of, of, of historical believers or whatever who would, who would get up at 4 a.m. And, and, and study and read and pray and suffer three hours. And, you know, I, that, that's just not <laughs> going to happen in my life, right? So, um, so you have to just decide how much you want to read. Am I going to read a chapter a day? Am I going to read half a chapter a day? Uh, whatever you, or am I going to read to say X amount of minutes? I've got X minutes before I have to leave for work um, or, you know, before the kids wake up or whatever it is. Um, you just decide for yourself and then, and then hold on to that plan a little bit loosely because you may just say, oh, I'm trying to read too much and I'm, and I'm failing. So I'm going to back off. Or you say, oh, you know, I finished and I got plenty of time left. Or maybe I should beef my plan up a little bit. Um, but the, the point is, if you don't have a plan, of any kind, you probably won't actually get around to reading at all, or only randomly. Yeah, let's talk about tools for a second, Ross, because there's a great app out there. I wish I had this when I was younger. It's a, I know there's a lot of Bible apps out there, but the one that we both use quite a bit is the Uversion Bible app. You can get it on Android or on iPhone. It's a great, it's a great tool. Um, you can, there's all kinds of plans that you can choose from. And one of the things I love about that, Ross, is that you can, you can start a reading plan and it'll feed you the, you know, the chapters to read every day or whatever. And then, but you can invite other people into the plan. So for anyone out, out there who's, who has a mentor, um, or, or who's involved in a small group, or maybe as a family, you want to read through the Bible together. Uh, that's one of the, one of the, I think one of the biggest pluses to the Uversion Bible app is that you can invite others to join you. You can comment on your readings every day. Um, it's really a great and helpful tool. But but what are some dangers? Maybe before we finish this little section, Ross, what are some dangers for people who are like, awesome, I'm ready to start a Bible reading plan. I can't wait. And they're kind of box checkers. What are what are some maybe just a few things that you would you would warnings for people? I don't know, so that so they don't go go astray when it comes to uh, reading their Bible. Well, I, I agree with you on U version first of all, but because I've used that a million different plans, and there's such a variety of things in there that I can I can uh, zero it in for what where I'm at right now. But the point is, like some dangers, like okay, um, you mentioned box checkers, and that's it's that's a danger for some of us who like to feel like oh I've, I can I can point to something I accomplished right. So one danger is just, I'm just going to complete my assignment. I'm done, done for today. And it doesn't sink in. It doesn't really get through. All right, or I hurry through it to, so I can say I did it. But but I didn't really stop and think and meditate about it like Joshua's, uh, like Joshua was talking about. Or, or you know, one thing that um, is just so easy, it can be easy to get behind. And then I feel really guilty that I'm behind. And then I feel like, oh, I've got to catch up. And so I just kind of mindlessly read uh, way much just to make, get back on schedule again. So, so I think it's got to be a kind of a living thing, kind of a flowing thing, and and yes, discipline, like we said, but also at the same time, I'm not I'm not governed by or ruled by this plan. It's for me. It's not it's not for me to do for some someone else. It's not for me to pr- prove my worthiness to God or anybody else. It's for me for God to speak to me and 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 benefit my life. And so that's why I want to t- you know say hey just uh, d- don't take those some of those approaches and you'll be fine. Okay, so you're going slowly. You're really reading and listening to God. You're trying to follow what He says. Um, you're processing this. You're like like that verse we said or we read earlier. You're medit. You're trying to meditate on God's word. And there's there's a couple of helpful acronyms that I've heard over the years, Ross. Maybe we can throw them out there, and some some of our listeners can consider using some of these acronyms while they're reading. One of them that's real pretty popular is the SOAP method, S-O-A-P. So let's talk through that. And again, this isn't, you're not going to find this in the Bible anywhere. This isn't a commandment from God, but this this might be a helpful approach as people are really, Ross, it's probably moving from reading the Bible devotionally 
to, to studying it because there's a little bit of a difference, right? Sometimes I like to read it devotionally. I'm just, I'm just going to read it and let God speak to me for a few minutes every morning. But then sometimes I want to get down and really actually spend some time studying it. And the SOAP method um, is, is a great method to employ. So let's walk through that. SOAP, scripture, observation, application, and prayer. So talk us through this method. Yeah, this is a great method. This is used around the world, by the way. This, there's millions of Christians who, are, who have adopted this method because it's so simple and so, so helpful. And I think, you know, it's just helpful to have a method to say, hey, this is what I'm going to do when I spend my time. Because I don't know maybe how to read or I don't know what to do. So I read it. So what? How do I deal with it? So scripture is just simply you just read the passage. And now for some people who want to be, you know, more interactive with the Bible, they, they'll write. Now, I typically, I'll write sometimes, but not every day. I don't journal it every day or whatever. If, I'm, if I have an issue that I'm searching for, I'll write. But so some people might write the passage out. And it might be just a couple of verses. Now, you're not going to write out the whole chapter, chapter 12 of Romans, right? But, but you're going to read it. You're going to interact. Basically, you're going to imbibe the scripture. That's number one, the S. But then the next question is, is observation. The O is like, what am I reading for? I'm going to interact with the text in some way by asking it questions. I'm going to actually say, what is, what's going on here? I'm going to take a minute to pull back and say, okay, let's let's look more carefully. And I notice words, and I notice like who they're spoken to and who's saying them. And I notice like, oh, that word means this. And so I'm going to make, maybe if I'm writing again, I'll circle things. And I'll, I'll maybe make a chart kind of out of my, my, my words, the words I wrote down on show relationships and arrows and like, like maybe underline things that, that speak to me. Or, or I might make a list of the observations that I'm making. And what that helps me do is it helps me interact a little more carefully and to think a little more fully about the meaning of the passage. And it keeps me from just kind of assuming, you know, something that I already just, that I just made up. And then, of course, um, all the Bible plans and all the, all the methods we use end up with application. That's the A. I want to make it personal, put it into practice. How does this apply to my life today? What's God saying to me today? It's not just head knowledge. It's not just walking away with a bigger, a better grasp of truth and reality. It's like, no, well, God is speaking to me because he wants to change my life. He wants to transform me. And so that's the A. And then P is prayer. We end in prayer. Not just a perfunctory prayer, but I want to talk to God about what I've been reading. I want to say, God, okay, here's what I'm hearing you saying. What would that Help me, God, help me do the next thing. Help me have the strength and the wisdom, the power, et cetera. And, and I want to give you maybe thanks for what, what you've said to me, for your promises. I want to claim the things that, so I'm interacting with God and it becomes not just an academic exercise, but it becomes a relationship with the, the Father who loves me. And I think, Ross, the reason the SOAP method is so kind of used around the world is because it involves just some real basic things, right? It involves reading it, obviously. It involves praying about it, the the P at the end. But it involves those two those two really important, I think, aspects of reading and studying the Bible, observing it for what it says and what it was saying in the original context, and then applying it to our context today. So let's Let's, because there's some fancy words, exegesis and hermeneutics. Let's kind of throw some words out for a second, because those are kind of the two big things that you always have to be asking yourself: is what did it say in its original context? And then, because if you don't understand that, if you can't understand, if you can't find the answer to that question, there's no way you can find the answer to: is there an application today? Because not everything from 2,000 years ago necessarily applies the same way today because contexts have changed. So talk for a second about that. Yeah, so I'm going to try to, I want to figure out, here, here's a key, a key thing that helps me to think about this, is what did the author intend to say? What was the author's original intent? So I, I believe that, you know, the author, we, we talked about that in, uh, in a previous episode, how these authors are inspired by the Holy Spirit, that the words they're saying, they're their words, but they're God's words. And so I want to find out what the author intended to say originally. And so I can't just take my meaning and impose it into what the author, what I think the author should say or what, he, what I think he's saying. That wouldn't be fair to the author. It wouldn't be 
appropriate to what God wanted to say originally. So I'm going to try to figure out, this is where we talk about context and interpretation. And I think the way to boil that down is to say, what was the author trying to say to that original audience? And then I can take, then, then I'm saying, is there a principle that's embedded in that? Is there a universal principle that I can say, oh, that applies to me too? You know, and, and that's where I have to understand, you know, the um, historical context and genre and stuff like that a little bit, because then I can say, oh, well, no, that that is a thing that he wanted to say to those people in that time setting, and that doesn't really translate over to today. So I'm not going to, for example, go and take a, a lamb to a, te- a, a temple and have it killed. You know, <laughs> so that's the obvious one, right? But, yeah. but that's illustrative of the idea that there's certain context and I want to I want to understand what the author intended to say to that person and then say oh how does that maybe apply to me what is there a larger principle about the character of God or about the promise of God or or whatever that I can say oh I, I can apply that to my life I can believe that in my own life okay so this is where Bible commentaries come in because I, I could see some of our listeners including us and we're we've read the Bible for years but even for us, we're not just reading this in a vacuum saying, okay, let me see if I can figure out the context of this. I mean, we're not experts. We're not, we're not theologians. So that's where Bible commentaries are really, really helpful. I really encourage people. And I always love, especially for newer believers or people who are maybe longtime Christians who are finally saying, I want to I understand God's word more. So anyone who's taking this series or listening to this podcast, Ross, let's talk a little bit about the role of Bible commentaries, the types of Bible commentaries that are out there. And then let's talk a little bit about some specific commentaries that we use, maybe some of our favorite commentaries for people who want to go out and buy them. What's a Bible commentary and how do we know if we're using a good one? Yeah, so a Bible commentary is this, the word implies someone's commenting on what the Bible says. And, um, and so hopefully it's a scholar, because that person can help me. A person who's been trained in biblical languages and trained in history and theology and so forth can help me to understand, maybe I don't have that, that kind of training or that depth of knowledge. He can help me understand what is the author trying to say here, especially in some of the most obscure uh, passages. And so a commentary is an explanation, and it goes, there. some are wider. You can buy a commentary of the whole Bible in one volume. You know, the Old and New Testaments, and it's probably about 500 pages long. You can hold it in one hand. Now, that, that commentary is going to be great to give you overview, but a lot of times you're going to find out it doesn't talk about the really tough passage that you really want to find out about because there's not enough room to do that. Then there are commentaries that are written on a whole book of the Bible. Say, a, a book of First, First Corinthians is a commentary on my shelf. Now, some of them are practical. They're, they're uh, geared toward different audiences. And so there's a devotional commentary or practical commentary. Some of them are academic um, for scholars or for pastors who understand the language. So, so you're going to ask, does it deal with, is it just in English? Does it deal just with the English text or does it deal with the Greek and Hebrew text of the Bible? And if, and if um, you know, you don't know Greek and Hebrew or have been exposed to them, then you don't want that commentary because this is going to be confusing for you. So you just want to get an English language Bible commentary. Um, and so those are some places to start in thinking about. Now, most commentaries, you have to be careful. Every commentary is going to have a perspective because it's written by a human who has a certain theological point of view, a certain approach to things. And so you have to be a little bit careful to understand what's the perspective the guy's coming from. But, you know, if you go to a a reputable um, Bible bookstore, I know that's not a thing anymore, but uh, or if you go to online to a a basic biblical um, bookseller like Christian Book Distributors, um, then you're going to get a pretty reliable set of commentaries. Now, you can go on Amazon and they're going to have everybody's commentary, and they're not going to have any kind of filter. And so you have to read a little bit more carefully and see who some of the publishers are that publish these commentaries. There's some reputable publishers that, uh, that, that publish commentaries. And that's something, that's a learning curve. Maybe you could get a pastor or someone who's got more experience help you with that, um, that process of weeding through what's 
the point of view and what's the perspective of the commentary, whether it's reliable or not. Yeah, and I, we should back up and say some some people start with a study Bible, and a study Bible has commentary sort of embedded in it. So I guess the maybe the first level of commentary is just the the footnotes that you have you have in your study Bible. That's a great place to start, and then maybe the next layer of that, like you said, Ross, is a one volume commentary a big thick commentary on the entire Bible, but it's all in one volume. Obviously that's only going to go so far. And then you have, sometimes you have two volume or three volume commentary sets all the way up to 16 and 20 multi-volume sets where you can dive into individual books of the Bible. Also, okay. So you can, there aren't Christian bookstores anymore. That's not really a thing, but you can get some of this on, on Kindle or on Amazon. But again, it's hard because they're going to recommend, I don't know, secular stuff or or woke commentaries. You want to stay away from that kind of stuff. Um, you can also, I, I don't know what you use, Ross, but I use an app called um, Olive Tree, the Olive Tree Bible app. You can buy, within the app, you can buy Bibles. You can buy commentaries within the app, straight within the app. So I have it on my phone. I have it on my iPad. I have it on my laptop. So I have all my commentaries with me all the time because over the years I've just I've added more and more commentaries to my library on the Olive Tree Bible app. You can take notes, you can uh there's all kinds of stuff in that app. So I highly recommend that app. And and let's just get real practical. Let's name off some of our favorite commentaries for our listeners so that they don't end up getting a commentary that's not particularly helpful. I'll start. One of my favorites over the years has been Expositors Bible Commentary. I have the physical copy of that, and I also have the digital version of that. What's one of your favorites? Yeah, I love. I, I use the Expositors a lot too. Um, and by the way, um, I, I'm not a digital native, so uh, I have all mine are on books on the shelf. But uh, Olive Tree is great, and also Logos is another great source mm-hmm. for the online collection, uh, yep. library of stuff. But now I. When when I was first getting started, and I still I still refer to this, I had the one volume commentary. Actually, it's a two volume. I think Old Testament is one volume, New Testament is one volume. It's called the Wycliffe Bible Commentary, and it just pulls it all together into one. And it seems like it's got a pretty even handed approach. It does not. It's not pumping up a particular theological perspective. So that might be a place that people would want to start. Now, expositors um, is old, a little bit old nowadays and and so but still the bible is pretty old and uh the, its meaning hasn't changed so yeah. as new commentaries come out what they're doing is interacting maybe with contemporary issues that a, ge- a previous generation never had to think about and apply the bible toward yeah a few more that i like to use the new bible commentary by d.a carson the mm-hmm. zondervan bible commentary by ff F. bruce now these have been around for a while um the ivp bible Background commentary by Craig Keener. That's another good one. I mean, if you really want to get old school, you can you can pick up John Calvin's commentaries, 22 volumes of John Calvin's commentaries. <laughs> yeah. uh, probably most of our readers uh, would that would be maybe over their head. Uh, the Bible knowledge commentary, that's a two-volume commentary. That's set. a good one. Yeah, that's a good one. There's a the Baker Illustrated Bible commentary, a little bit older. There's also Bible dictionaries. One, my favorite new commentary, Ross. I don't know how new this is, but it's called the Pillar New Testament Commentary. It's a mm-hmm. much bigger. It's a little more expensive. It's a little pricier, but man, I, I have. It's only on the New Testament right now. I don't know if they're working on the Old Testament, but man, it has got so many great insights. It really is my favorite new commentary that I've downloaded. Um, in my Olive Tree Bible app. Any other any other commentaries or, or resources on your list, Ross? Well, you mentioned Bible dictionaries, and uh, sometimes, or uh, they come, they could be called a Bible encyclopedia, or, you know, I don't know. It, so they're, that, those are organized not by books of the Bible, but they're organized by topic. And so you're, you're reading in, a, in the Bible, you're reading a passage that talks about baptism. So you pull out the, the Bible encyclopedia, the Bible dictionary, and you go to B like a baptism. And again, it gives you kind of a comprehensive, pulls it all together um, kind of article on, on baptism or whatever it is that you're, that you uncover. So that's a helpful thing that, that can be used kind of on the side. Okay, Ross, now for people who want to go a little bit deeper, they might want to use another acronym. The acronym is CARA, 
And we'll put some links below for people who want to use this method, C-H-A-R-A. And here's what it is. Again, this is if you want to go deeper in the word, five aspects of biblical interpretation, context, history, author, research, and apply. Walk us through that. Yeah. Okay. So um, these are these people put out some great material and it could be a plan that people would want to use, would, do, would look at their stuff. But the, their approach and their method is going to apply this to all the things that they do. So context, number one, it says, how does, if I'm reading this day, chapter four of Romans, how does it fit in with the rest of the Bible? How, if, how does it fit in with like this verse that I read in chapter four about Abraham and his righteousness? How does that fit in with the whole chapter? How does that fit in with the whole book that Paul's writing? What's the argument of the book of Romans? And how does this, how does this verse contribute to that whole argument? And how does it fit into everything Paul wrote? all of the whole Pauline corpus. And then finally, ultimately, how does it fit into the New Testament and to the Bible? And so I'm looking at context. To look at context helps me not to just uh, pull something fanciful out of the air and say, oh, he's talking about X, Y, Z, and that makes me think of this. And so, and then I start making connections that aren't really there um, because I haven't considered the connections that already are there. And that's the role of context. Whenever we read, we're going to think about this larger context. Never read a verse by itself without reading the verses before and after it. And that's honestly where a lot of uh, aberrant groups, cult groups or whatever, have gone astray. Is they, they pulled a verse out of context and made it say something that the author never intended it to say. Yeah, that's that, you know, we can proof text. Sometimes we can proof text scripture. And that that's when you... When you have an idea and you're going to scripture to prove your preconceived idea from scripture, rather than letting scripture come and, and teach you, you're trying to bend scripture to what you want it to say. Yeah, that's a great, that's a great point. Con- understanding context grounds you and helps you from you know, going off in that direction. The H then, the second thing, the H stands for history, content, and then history. And so we're asking, okay, there's a historical setting. Like I mentioned earlier, okay, the Old Testament, you're not going to go make a sacrifice to a, to a temple with an with a, a animal that you kill. That, that, that's a historical background that that setting helps you understand what you're reading. But what, a, lot, a big part of this is like, what was the message to the original audience? You know, what was their setting? Why was Paul or whoever, Peter, why were they writing this to that audience? And how would that audience have heard it, understanding the situation they were in and understanding the the local conditions and also the the larger historical events? And so in Acts chapter um, 8 and 9, the church is being spread around. You know, they're going out to different places and we read, oh, there's Antioch. And so later on, we see Paul in Antioch. And so that historical context helps us understand what's going on there. And so um, looking at history and thinking about then studying the, putting the, connecting the dots of history, local and bigger picture history is going to help us get the right understanding of what that uh, passage is saying. Okay, and then, um, and then we're going to talk about the A. The A is the author. Who wrote the book? And what do we know about that individual? And so more than that, it's not, not just a, a biographical question, although the biographical stuff does play in. Again, the Apostle Paul, we know that his background was he was a, a leader of Judaism. And how did that change his perspective? And how did he come to faith in Christ and all the rest? What do we know about that person? But more than that is then what is the author's overall purpose in the book? And how does that verse or that passage that I'm reading fit into his overall purpose? And so again, we know fr- that from the his from the some of the history, we know from some of the context. We're going to be able to put that together. We're considering why did the author write this, and and what was he trying to say? And then that leads us back to the the commentary question because the R in the acronym is research. And so that's that's where I'm going to go outside of my own thinking and my own study and turn and turn to some other resource, some expert to help me understand maybe more about the context, more about the history, more about the authorship and the background. And so 
what can I learn from other people who've studied it more, who have communicated more? But here's the thing, Brian, is I don't want to start with the research. I don't want to start with somebody else's perspective and point of view. I want to start by grappling it with it myself and seeing what I can learn and what I can discover and how God might be speaking to me. And then I'm going to go and check my work, so to speak. Then I'm going to go fill in some gaps. And the commentary might be telling me, oh, you're out. You're totally out to lunch. You made some bad uh, interpretation. Or it might say, oh, oh, yeah, yeah, that just tweaks it a little bit. Or oh, that adds something that I didn't see. Um, so the research part of it is, uh, I think, a big part of studying the Bible, more than reading just devotionally, but studying it. But I don't want to start there. I want to start with my own thinking and let, the, and let God work with me. And then um, finally, it always ends, as always, it ends with application. That's the A. And now that I understand what the Bible means more, how can I put it into practice? Um, every Bible reading session, every method, every a tool that we use should ultimately end up here. Um, whether you're just simply reading through the Bible or you're studying it in greater depth, we really want to end here and say, because the, the Bible is not just about what I know. It's about how God is transforming my life. Yeah, and let me simplify this for our listeners, because some of our newer listeners, newer to the Bible, you might be at this point, you know, 30 minutes into this episode saying, boy, this sounds really complicated. So let me simplify this. You know, we talked about the SOAP method. Start with scripture, just read read it, observe it, O, observe it, A, apply it, and then P, prayer, end with prayer. That's basically what the Kara method is, right? It's that we're starting with reading reading this, the verse, reading the passage, reading the book, whatever. And then the observation is everything we've just, you know, the first four things we've said in the Kara method, context, history, author, research, all of that is just observation. Right? There's a use resources for that. Use uh, people. You know, maybe if you're doing this with a study group, you, you're talking about this together. You're using the appropriate appropriate commentaries that are good and helpful. But really, these first four things in this method are just the observation, and then the A in SOAP, which is apply, is right here at the end of the Cara method as well. So again, there's nothing. There's nothing um, particularly. Um, biblically, like this isn't a mandate from scripture that you have to use the SOAP method or the CARA method. These are just helpful tools. There's a hundred other helpful tools and acronyms out there. But the point is, make a habit, make it, make it a discipline to read your Bible, to study your Bible, allow, allow God's word to speak to you, allow God's people to speak to you, to include um, some of those you know, experts who have really studied this and our theologians who align with your perspective, you have they have a high view of scripture. Allow all of this stuff to um, to feed into your personal study of God's word. That's kind of the point to today. So we're talking about reading it, we're talking about studying it. And Ross, maybe with the time that we have left, let's talk about five pitfalls to avoid when you're studying the Bible. Okay, so there's some things I think over time you kind of we've already mentioned this a little bit where if you're not careful. If you're not careful, you could end up misapplying scripture and starting your own cult. And so let's finish with how to not start your own cult now that you are are becoming more of a student of the Bible. So number one, pitfall number one is innovation. Now, right away, people might be saying, wait a second, in our culture, innovation is a good thing. How is innovation a bad thing when it comes to reading the Bible? Yeah, this the idea of the Bible, reading the Bible is not to come up with ideas that nobody ever thought about before, right? So the, the, there's some timeless truth to Scripture. Now, applications, there might be innovation with respect to application, because when the Bible was written, there weren't some of the different expressions of human culture that we experience today. But in terms of the principles, the core ideas of the Bible, um, I want to discover the eternal truths of the Bible. I don't want to discover something nobody ever thought of before. If nobody ever thought of it before, then there's probably a reason why, because it's probably a, a, a crazy idea, right? So I want to uniquely apply those to my life. But if I'm coming up with something that nobody thinks is, is, is the answer and that people are going like, oh, whoa, wait, what? Then that's a kind of a warning sign that maybe I have misunderstood what the Bible's saying. Yeah, perfect example of an innovation was in the early 1800s, a young, a young man named Joseph Smith 
said that he had a revelation from God. There was new scripture. If anyone have, if you've heard of the Book of Mormon, that literally is another testament of Jesus Christ. So they say that the Old Testament was one, the New Testament is another, and then the Book of Mormon is a third. It's another testament. Again, that's an obvious example of innovation that is not biblical. It's not truthful. Mormonism then, therefore, is based on something. You know, again, I talk about this all the time. We have a whole a whole podcast called Unveiling Mormonism. But Ross, I, I think it's such an example that if, if you're not careful being empowered to read God's word, if you don't understand the boundaries, then you could end up starting the cult, which is what young Joseph Smith did. Yeah, and even, sh- even, even short of starting a whole cult movement and everything else like that. So sometimes there's a, I, I've seen over in the, in the past, a Bible study group that has become really independent from the church it's part of. And there's some weird things that start to take place within that group. And it's not a full out, full blown cult, but it's cult ish, mm. cult like, because the leader is, has said, hey, came up with something new, you know, here. And then everybody buys into it. Maybe those 10 people uh, buy into it. So it's not like an such an extreme. It, it can really happen. Okay. So pitfall number one, innovation. Pitfall number two, information alone. How is that a pitfall? Information seems good, Ross. What are we talking about there? Well, it, this is, a, I think, an American culture thing that we think that information means that you've arrived. So think about the education system that we've all been through. Um, we learn and we regurgitate for the test, and then we get a degree, right? We get a high school diploma or whatever it might be. So the idea with the Bible is not just to learn more. It's important to learn more, but that's, not a, that's the starting point. But I want to put it into practice in my life. I want my life to be transformed by it. There are there are Bible scholars who know everything about the Bible, know it in depth, but who don't know Jesus, who are not followers of Jesus. And so there's a there's a disconnect when it's just here in my head alone, and it never applies to my relationship with God or to the way I live my life. Okay, pitfall number three is anachronism. What is an anachronism? This is an example, actually, of there are a lot of anachronisms in the Book of Mormon. So, But how can we as Christians reading our Bible fall for anachronisms? So what an anachronism means is that something is out of time. It's in the wrong time frame and the wrong... So what we can do is we can read modern ideas into the ancient text. For example, we read the... Um, the history of ancient Israel as if they had democratic, demo, uh, democratic ideals, like that there was a democracy. And we have, we're familiar with that idea, but they would not have been familiar at all with the idea of contemporary democracy or some other contemporary political idea or legal concepts that we're, that are common in our culture, reading them back into the Old Testament culture. And so anachronism, and it could be, it could be anything uh, where we say, oh, something that I'm familiar with, therefore I assume that it's in the text itself. So for example, one thing that I thought of, like it, the Bible talks in a number of places about um, greet each other with a, a holy kiss or a sacred kiss. Romans 16 says that. Now it'd be, it would be an anachronism for us to read the modern meaning of kissing back into the first century. So for us, now some cultures have this more, like in European culture, the kiss on the cheek or whatever. But in American culture, kissing is about a romantic relationship. Mm. It's very uncommon for there to be kissing that doesn't fall into that relationship. So, But in the ancient Greek uh, and Hebrew culture, the sacred kiss was an expression of warmth and welcome. And, and you're, you're one of us, you're part of us. And so that's, a, that's where we can say, oh, I'm thinking about what I know about kissing and, and reading it back into the old setting when I read that passage. That's just a, a simple, uh, more obvious example of how anachronism could work and how it could go wrong. Yeah, let me, let me be clear about this, Ross. So we're not saying that there are anachronisms in the biblical text. We're saying that you can, as you study it and apply it, that you can read an anachronism into it. There are no anachronisms in the Bible but there are anachronisms in the Book of Mormon. So, for example, in the Book of Mormon, it's it's it claims to be a, a historical text about the early Americas, and we have, say, for example, we have horses in the Americas um, before horses were in the Americas. So that's an that's actually an example of 
the text is anachronistic, which means you should really reconsider whether you believe that that's truthful or truly a reliable text. So again, there are plenty of anachronisms in the Book of Mormon, not to pick on the Book of Mormon, but just so people understand, there are no anachronisms in the Bible, the older New Testaments, but as you study it, you could read it in if you're not careful. That's a great point. That's a good qualification. And we just want to say, okay, just be careful about how you think about reality is shaped by our contemporary culture. And so, but not necessarily shaped by biblical culture. So that's what we're talking about. How do we interpret and understand what we're reading? Okay, pitfall number four is ignoring the genre. Now, last week, Ross, we talked about the different genres in the Bible. So we talked about say, history and prophecy and poetry in the Old Testament. We talked about the Gospels. We talked about the epistles. So what do you mean when you say, be careful about ignoring genre when you're studying the Bible? Yeah, so um, for a couple of examples, the genre of apocalyptic literature, the book of Revelation and parts of the book of Daniel, can be very symbolic. And so to read it as if it were literal, it's you have to be you have to be careful. We have to think about is this make sense if it's symbolic or does it make sense if it's literal? And so some of the pictures of the Book of Revelation, we think of the way literal, then that's kind of a freaky thing. But it, but it, maybe it makes more sense if it's symbolic, and that's because the genre suggests that it might be symbolic. A better, a easier example would be the Book of Proverbs. Proverbs are not meant to be universal. Proverbs, the type of genre of the Proverbs. Are, are sayings that are generally true, that prove to be true over and over and over again, but not every single time. And so I don't know how many parents have, have quoted the proverb that says, raise up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he will not depart from it. And yet many Christians have found that their kids did depart from the faith, even though they raised them up. Because Proverbs is not a, an ironclad, perfect promise that this is how it works, A plus B always equals C. But generally, this is how it works. And so I don't want to over, I don't want to make Proverbs over promise. I want to make sure I'm understanding, oh, this is the, this is a principle that makes sense for me to apply in my life, because more often than not, it's going to be true. Yeah. And I think here's another example, Ross, is maybe you're reading a parable from Jesus, where Jesus tells a parable. And I think you have to be careful not to create doctrine out of a parable. Right. So a parable, Jesus, again, this is like subgenre, right? A parable was when Jesus would tell a story to make a point. But if you press all of the details of that parable and, and now you're pulling out like core doctrine out of parables where Jesus, that wasn't his intention. Jesus was telling the parable to, to get across a main point, to try to get people to understand a concept. But but that's another example of you just got to be careful to let to let scripture interpret scripture and to make sure that especially when you're when you're talking about doctrinal issues that you're you're looking at all of scripture and especially you're looking at the 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 scripture that was intended to be creating doctrine does that make sense yeah totally that's a great example uh, to add to our our understanding of what genre means and how it works and and how we could abuse genre that's a great point Okay, one more pitfall to avoid when you're studying the Bible, and that is isolating verses. And Ross, we put this one last because this is probably, for both of us, this is a pet peeve. When people isolate a, a verse, they pull a verse out of context, and then they elevate that verse. Again, this is kind of, this is what you, what you can do with proof texting, is now you're saying, you're you're reading into that particular verse something that you want it to say. You got to really be careful. Yeah, there's so many examples that we could give because again, we're coming a person's coming to the Bible, maybe not even with an agenda, but with a preconception, you know, about how the way things are, the way things ought to be. And so it's easy to pick and and, and unless you're aware of the of this tendency, then you can create all kinds of you can connect all kinds of dots that aren't there. And and so um and really if you we talked about context, and that's what context helps us understand. We're going to we're going to read a verse in the light of all the surrounding verses and the surrounding passages and so forth. And so, for example, one, th one that I thought of in Philippians 4.13, it says, I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Well, if I, 
if I understand that in its context, Paul's talking about how he has content in different life situations. He's content when he didn't have anything. He's content when he's hungry. He's content when he has plenty. He has, he's full. And so he says, because it's, it's the strength of Christ that allows me to be content in any kind of circumstances. That's the context. And that's how I would want to apply that. But people can look, look at that verse in an isolated way and say, oh, I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. I can just go do whatever I want to do. I can just I can be president of the United States. I can whatever. And it becomes more like the verse is more like um, supporting sort of an American a self-help mentality than it is rooted in the context of contentment and Paul's you know willingness to um, to adopt adapt to different situations in life. And so and so that's a way that a verse could out of context or in isolation can really lead us in the wrong direction. That's a perfect example of proof texting, right? You're you're an American Christian, you're you're listening to those prosperity gospel preachers on TV and you want to buy that that better car or you want to have that better house. There's something in us that's pulling us to say it's all about me. And so again, you could look at a script that's such a great example, Ross, because you look at that scripture and it could be like this empowering scripture. I can do everything in Christ. I can do whatever I want to. And it's the exact opposite of Paul's point. Paul's point is you don't need all that stuff. The Paul's point is is he, Jesus is enough. You don't need the extra house, the, the extra car, all that stuff. But again, American American context can say I want to pull that out and make it say what I want it to say. Such a perfect example to end on, Ross. And so all of this for our listeners. Again, as we're talking about how do I read and study the Bible, just our encouragement to you is be consistent, make it a discipline. It do, Bible reading doesn't have to be dry. It can be life-changing. So get started. And, and Ross, maybe we should just end this whole episode uh, with an encouragement about illumination, right? We said last week that the Bible, or maybe two weeks ago, that the Bible is the inspired word of God right? There's not going to be any other scripture that's going to be added. Nothing else is going to be added to the canon. So let's just end with how does the Holy Spirit then, we haven't talked about the Holy Spirit yet. This is important though. The Holy Spirit is God. How does the Holy Spirit then work as we open up our Bibles? That's a great point, Brian, to really bring that around. Because again, it's not just, it's not just like what you did when you were in school. It's not just like what you do when you're studying the stock market or whatever. This is encountering God, and God speaks to us. God spoke originally to those authors, but again, we said in illumination, the Holy Spirit is speaking to us and making us aware of and and, and turning our hearts open to Him. So trusting that—that's why what we—that's why prayer is such an important element of our Bible reading and Bible study. But so it, it also creates for me the encouragement and the expectation that maybe not every single day, but on a on a whole, on the ongoing experience in my Bible reading, that I am going to experience the voice of God speaking to me and His work in my life transforming me through His Word. Hey listeners, this is Brian Dwyer reminding you to rate this show on your favorite podcast app. That really does help us when you do that. That way more people can discover this podcast and start listening. And also, don't forget to share the podcast with a friend.